morning's reading is from uh, Matthew's recording of Jesus saying, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his abilities. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold came also. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has been given more, they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, 14 to 30. And where were we? We've taken a little bit of an aside the past three weeks. Um, we had been going through the Gospel of Matthew consistently. We've been at this for a while. Um, but we took a little bit of a side road to talk about our call to leadership. So now we're jumping back into Matthew. But I think you'll see that this isn't a hard shift. If we've been called to lead, then we've been invested with responsibility by God. That's what we see in today's passage. If you've been following with us, you'll recall that Jesus has been telling his disciples that they need to adopt a posture of readiness that looks like faithfulness. It looks like the faithfulness that a servant is supposed to exhibit when his master goes out on a long journey. That's what we hear in chapter 24. Now the servant that Jesus depicts there is actually gets drunk and lays aside his, his responsibilities and he gets in trouble. He also said in that chapter that um, readiness looks like being ready for a thief to come at any point in the night. He said his coming is going to be like that. And so the point isn't trying to estimate when this thief is going to come, but to just always be ready. 
Now we're here in chapter 25, and he's continued that theme with the parable of the ten young women, the ten virgins who are waiting for a wedding party to arrive, a wedding party that was on their way to a wedding banquet. And he uses those young women to illustrate that we need to be ready for the long haul. All of the women had brought oil with them for their lamps, but some of them had not brought enough for a long stay, and so they ran out. And they had to go out and get more, and they found themselves on the outside looking in when they went to go to the banquet. And the groom said, I don't know you. Go away. The point is, is that we must have faith that is ready to persevere for the duration of our lives if we will enter into God's kingdom. So now Jesus has another parable for us. He tells us a parable about a master who goes on a journey and charges his servants with responsibility. And the nature of that responsibility is managing the master's wealth. That's what we see in verse 14. He gives to one of the servants five bags of gold, otherwise um, translated in other versions as a talent. Um, To another servant, he gives two bags. And to a third, he gives one. And some commentators have estimated that this probably represents about $2 million. So it's, it's a lot of money that they've been given to manage. And each has been given the amount that they've received on the basis of their ability. It says, according to his ability. And what this indicates is that there's a purpose with which the master has given his servants this money. It's not just that they would hold on to it and lock it up in a safe. Or rather, it's that he would invest it and grow his wealth, grow his estate. And so in, in verse 16, we see that the one that had received five managed to double the money which she received. He got five more. In 17, it says that the one that received two doubled his and got two more. But the last servant, the one who had only received one bag of gold, gold, who apparently was not a man of great ability, and so he wasn't given a great responsibility, failed to invest the little that he had received. Instead, he hid his money in the ground. Now let's take a step back here and remember our audience. Jesus is talking to his disciples He's talking to those who say they believe in him, that they are committed, that they will follow him. He's not talking about all people in general. He's talking about us. He's talking about the church. And so when we're thinking about these three servants, you have to realize that Jesus is talking about people you might find in the church. And so we have two basic kinds of of people here. Those who are faithful and those who are unfaithful. Those who are faithful and those who are unfaithful. This gets played out further in verses 19 through 30. First we look at the faithful servants in verses 19 
through 23. It says that after a long time, the master returns home. And he comes to settle accounts with his servants to see what they have done. And this description of coming to settle accounts, it strikes the same tone as what Paul says in Romans 14, 12, when he says, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. This is what it's going to be like in the end. God's going to ask you, what did you do with the time that I gave you? With the talents that I gave you? The gifts that I gave you? Well, in this case, in the case of this parable, the master comes and he sees what they've done. And the basis of his judgment, you'll notice, isn't based on the amount that they produced, although he's happy with that. He's happy that you know, the guy with five bags doubled his and made it ten, and the one with two doubled his and made it four. The primary basis for his happiness and joy and satisfaction in them is that they've been faithful to the master. Now again, stepping back from the parable, who is the master here in the parable? It's, it's Jesus. Jesus is the master. And the servants, of course, as we've already been saying here, are the disciples. The way in which these servants have demonstrated their faithfulness to their master, the way that the disciples would demonstrate their faithfulness to Jesus is by putting to work that which he has given them. It's based on how they've used the tools and resources they've received. And again, that doesn't mean that everyone has the same gifts or talents. You recall in verse 15, it says, according to their ability. We've said the past three weeks, every disciple is called to lead, but that doesn't mean that everyone has the same gifts. Every, Every person who comes to believe in Jesus Christ and is united with his body has been given a unique gift in order to build up that body. And when we survey the letters of the New Testament, we see the apostles Paul and Peter describe to us what this looks like. In Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, Paul says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Notice there's no ranking here. There's not no saying like, oh, the teaching's more important than the giving or the encouragement. The point is, is whatever you've been given, put it into action. Do it. Do it big. Give generously. Do, if you've been given the gift of mercy, do it cheerfully. These works, these gifts, are not something that are produced by our own powers. Instead, rather, they stem from the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. 
So however God has designed it, He has given you a particular gift for a purpose. And the broad purpose is to build up the body of Christ. To advance the gospel wherever He's placed you. In this case, most of you live in northern Rhode Island, so there. But also to see that the faith of your brothers and sisters grow. That they might become the people that God has called and created them to be. Everything that we received is a grace. And sometimes we think of only the grace that we receive in Jesus Christ as being the sort of grace in which, by which we're forgiven. And this is true. The grace that we receive from God is that which forgives us and leads us into life with Christ. But the grace that we receive from God is also that which gives us these gifts that we would otherwise not have apart from Christ. Or perhaps if we had them, perhaps you have some, some skills, carpentry or, or, or whatever, you would not want to put them into action for others. You wouldn't want to lay them at the feet of God. Instead, you would only want to use them for yourself. But in Jesus, we have received grace not only to be forgiven, but so that we might be put into action. And Peter makes this utterly clear in 1 Peter 4.10. He says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Can't you see the obvious connection between what Peter is saying here and what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew 25? Peter's in the audience here. He's the one who heard this parable. And now he's saying to us again what Jesus is telling us here. If God has given you a gift, you better put it to work. He hasn't given it to you just for it to lie around. This is made even more clear when we see how the Master responds to the third servant in verses 24-30. through We can imagine the third servant walking up to the master. Maybe he's sitting down. He's asked each one to come up before him. And now the third servant comes up. And he says, well, I hid mine. I hid my bag of gold. And the reason why, master, is because I know you're a really tough man. You're a hard man. And so I was afraid. Basically what this third servant is doing is, is making excuses and someone's, in some ways, maybe trying to feign some sort of respect for the master, but in an underhanded way, blaming him, saying, because you're so tough, that's why I didn't do anything. That's why I just hid my talent in the ground. And remember, this guy hasn't been given a lot, but he has been given something that he's, the master wanted him to put to work. In the frame of Jesus and his disciples, you know, thinking about us as Jesus' disciples, some of us haven't been given a whole lot, maybe. And sometimes this ranges over the course of our lives. You think about a kid, and then when you're an adult, and then when you're in your older age, the things that you can do change. But whatever you can do, at whatever age, you're supposed to put it to work. 
But sometimes we can be like this third servant. We think about ourselves and think, well, I just don't have much to offer. And so we put on this sort of false humility, saying, well, I, I just would be no good. I, it wouldn't really help anyone. I'd be more of a burden than a help. And so we just sit on the sidelines. We sit in the pew. Those words that we're telling ourselves that I don't have anything to offer, just wouldn't be any good, it's just a little bit, all that's a lie. It's a lie you might believe, but it's a lie all the same. If you belong to Christ, you have been given something to build up the church family. Sometimes we think of ourselves as being, well, God-fearing, kind of like this, this servant. God's so tough. So we just say, it'll suffice that I'll try not to do anything wrong. So I'll just hide things in the ground and you know, kind of take this defensive stance. And that's what some people think the Christian life is like. I just won't do anything wrong. That ain't it, brothers and sisters. God has given us a mission. He's given you a mission. You've been called into the service of God's kingdom and are fit to serve today. This is why we see the master being so disappointed. If the servant truly feared him, he would have served him. All the words that he is speaking is just a cover-up for the wickedness of his heart. It's a cover-up for his laziness. Let's dwell on that a little bit. Don't, don't underestimate how much of our excuses just stem from the basic root of just being lazy. Just not wanting to step up. I'm just too tired. I, I can't do that. The very least this serving could have done is just put this money that had been given into a savings account so it could have built some interest. He could have just done a little bit, even just something. But he didn't do that. He just let it go all to waste. And so because of his unfaithfulness, because he was not faithful to the call that God had put upon him. He faces consequences. His responsibilities are taken away from him and given to the faithful servant, the one that doubled his from five to ten. And this is following the principle that we hear in the Gospel of Luke in Luke 16.10, that the one who has more to him will more be given. Whoever can be trusted with very little, it says in Luke, can also be trusted with with much. And if you lose even what you have, it's because you've been unfaithful. See, God is calling you to more. And again, you know, we talked about you know, the course of your life, how things can grow. That's how it is with God. When you first become a Christian, when you start following Jesus, yeah, 
you're not ready to stand up here and preach a sermon. And not that that's the end call for everybody, but I'm just using that as an example. But you're called to do something. And when you're faithful in that little bit, God enables you to do more because you've been faithful with that little bit that he's given you. And this just builds and builds and builds unto eternity. Now, we can't imagine what this is going to be like, but in the new heavens and the new earth, when God makes his home on earth, when Jesus returns and everything's made new, we're just going to be sitting around. I know it's difficult for us to imagine what eternity is going to be like, but we're not going to be just sitting around. We're going to have awesome work to do. And God is preparing us for that even now. This third servant, though, is not going to have a share in that. All of his responsibilities have been taken away from him. He's kicked out of the household. We see in verse 30. Says in th- the master says there, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, that description, the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, that's referring to the final judgment. And we've heard Jesus Talk about this elsewhere in just those sorts of terms. In chapter 13, verses 41 through 42, talking generally about all people, he says, The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin in all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Remember, This servant is someone in Jesus' audience who would have called themselves a disciple. They would have said, I believe. I have faith in Jesus. And yet, they were unfaithful to him. And so because of this, they would be cast out like all the other sinners. You see, if we truly have faith in Jesus we will also be faithful to Jesus. Paul says this of himself in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1-4. through This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. See, when we think about faith, we so often just think of it as an adjustment in our rational beliefs, like going from believing that the world is flat to believing that it's round. That's part of faith, but that's not the full extent of it. Now, many of us here have prayed the sinner's prayer of salvation. But I think some of us forget the full contents of it. You recall that it entails confessing that you're a sinner, repenting of your sin, saying, I'm going to leave sin behind me, not do the wrong things, and then I'm going to trust 
in Jesus as my Savior. That He covers my sins and that I'm forgiven in Him. But we so often forget this last bit. That I receive Jesus as Lord of my life. If I say I have faith in Jesus, I'm also saying that Jesus has power, authority over my life. That He is Lord and King. If that's really true, then we'll look like faithful servants. Now maybe you think that sounds like earning your salvation. It is not. You can never earn your salvation. Only Jesus can save us. But let us understand, we have been saved to be servants. So Jesus tells his disciples in Luke 17.10, So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. So, if we're faithful to our duty, that's not us gaining access into the kingdom based on us earning our way in. It's that we gain this new status as servants, and this is just who we are now if we belong to Christ. The point is, is that you can't say you're with Jesus and then just do your own thing. That's not what a faithful servant looks like. Now, true faith doesn't mean you're perfect. Think about Abraham, the father and model of faith, according to Paul. Just a newsflash here, Abraham is not a perfect guy. God promises, I will give you a son, and through that son you will become the father of many nations. Your sons, you won't be able to count them. Your children, they'll be like trying to count the sand or the stars. Abraham says that he trusts God, that he trusts that God will give him a son through his wife, Sarah, even though she's really old. But then he doesn't stick with that plan. Instead, he has a son with his servant, Hagar, because he tries to do it his own way. Not very faithful of of, of Abraham. And there's moments across our lives like that where we know what God is calling us to do, and yet we're not faithful. Now the good news is is that God does show us grace. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 2, verses 11-13, he says, Here's a trustworthy saying, If we died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we disown Him, He will also disown us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. Now that's a really interesting series of verses because it's, it's kind of teasing out a certain tension here where if you turn your back on Christ, if you, if you reject Christ, then you certainly have no part of him. And we are called to endure with him, to persevere, so that we might reign with him. And yet in verse 13, Paul says that if we are faithless, He remains faithful. Faith does not mean perfection. All of us have points at which we are faithless. It's true of me. It's true of you. 
But genuine faith endures. Genuine faith perseveres. It drives us to offer our lives to God. And we see this even in Abraham's life, how later he was faithful in radical ways. How even when God had called him to sacrifice his one promised son Isaac, he was willing to do that, even though God didn't ultimately require that of him. What we see there is that he's grown in his trust of God. He's become a more faithful servant of God by that point. We're not saved by our imperfect perseverance, but by the one we follow. The one who is perfect. Jesus Christ. But we need to be with him. We need to be at his side. We are at war in this world. And just like in any war, it's actions, not words, that show where your true loyalties lie. It's very easy for you to say that you have faith in Jesus. I suppose as easy as it was for an early American to say they supported the Declaration of Independence in July of 1776. But in that war, the real measure of loyalty to the cause was in December of 1776. The Continental Army had experienced a series of terrible defeats. The army had shrunk from 20,000 men down to 5,000. 5,000 soldiers who were undersupplied and counting the days for their army contract to expire in a few months so they could go back home. The war seemed all but over. Washington's army crossed the Delaware River, but it wasn't this glorious scene that you're all very familiar with. That was their second crossing when they were making an attack. Their first crossing was backwards into Pennsylvania. It was a limping retreat. They made camp like a beached whale and a conkey's ferry, not knowing what they should do next. The tide was only turned when Thomas Paine, a famous writer, but also one of those downtrodden soldiers camped along the Delaware, penned his famous charge to the American people in a publication entitled American Crisis Number 1. His words rallied the cause and changed the course of the war, leading to the victorious Delaware crossing. And I wanted to share with you some of what he says in that publication. He says, These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods, and it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. And he goes on to say, I call not upon a few, but upon all, not on this state or that state, but on every state, 
up and help us. Lay your shoulders to the wheel. Better have too much force than too little when so great an object is at stake. Let it be told to the future world that in the depth of winter, when nothing but hope and virtue could survive, that the city and the country, alarmed at one common danger, came forth to meet and to repulse it. Inspiring words. If pain could say this much for the cause of a nation, how much must be said for the cause of God's kingdom? That causes the proclamation that Jesus is King. That rescue has come. And that we can join God's side today. We can join the resistance. Overthrowing the power of Satan. The grip that sin has upon this world. If you have faith in Jesus the Messiah, then you will take up the arms that God has given you and march through the winter snow. Our foe is more despicable than an 18th century monarch. Our hope is greater than the birth of a new nation. Our prize is greater than a bill of rights. We've been given the promise of a new world where righteousness dwells. Christ's call is not upon a few, but on us all to lay our shoulder to the wheel. So what has God given you according to your abilities? Whatever it is, whether it be much or little, if you're with Christ, give it all to Him. Give it all to Him. Take action. How can that begin? Well, it can begin at the servant leader luncheon to follow. You can let us know the ways that you can serve. It can progress in your small groups. Seek guidance from each other in figuring out what God wants you to be doing. And then do whatever you need to do to get you into action. We want to help you do that. God isn't looking for perfect people. He's not looking for experts. He's called you according to your ability and given you a mission. Employ your skills for Jesus and his kingdom. So that at the end of the day, you might hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Make that the goal of your life. Let's pray. Dear Father, you've given us a privilege. You've given us a privilege, an opportunity in your Son, Jesus Christ. Because you have brought us into your household so that we might share in the work that you're doing. 
And Father, we know that this has been made possible because of Jesus Christ. Because He laid down His life for our sakes. Because He was the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so, Father, we have come to Him. But we have come to Him, Father, not just to receive forgiveness, but to commit ourselves to Him. To commit ourselves to You. Father, we pray that You would burn upon our minds the fullness of what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. That it looks like these faithful servants who put to work that which the Master gave them. And so, Father, we pray for each one of us. We pray for this church that we would put what we've, you've been given to, that you've given us, that we've, we would put it into action, Father. So that each one of us might become more like Christ. So that this local church might grow stronger. And so that our neighbors might be added to the body of Christ. So that the town of Situate, so that the state of Rhode Island would know that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. This is our prayer this morning, Father. In the name of our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey there, Pastor Tom here. I hope you enjoyed this sermon I offered to Rockland Community Church. Rockland Community Church is located at 212 Rockland Road in North Situate, Rhode Island, just around the bend from Situate Public High School. We invite you to join us in person or virtually this Sunday as we continue our series through the Gospel of Matthew. It's our joy to welcome you into our community.